Hey, Cross Connection Church, it's Pastor Garrett here. I'm glad I could be with you as you tune in live to our broadcast. Um, this week, Miles is out and he asked me to fill in for him and I am so blessed to be here. If you haven't been um, with Cross Connection Church or you're tuning in for the first time, we are right in the middle of a series on discipleship, what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus and how that works. So last week, Miles specifically talked about our sanctification, what God is doing inside of you and me to make you more like him. In a nutshell, it is that God is transforming your character and my character to match the calling that he's given us. And he does that through the power and work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That is, he is the great helper. So Miles kind of left off there. Um, I'm not going to be picking up right where Miles is leaving off. I'm actually going to be with you um, turning to the book of Daniel chapter 9 where I've been with our high school students because I feel like Daniel actually where we were at fit so perfectly right into the middle of this discipleship um, time that we've been in. So as you're turning there um, to Daniel chapter 9, if you didn't get a chance to watch the previous um, sermons by Miles on discipleship, I encourage you to check out the previous videos on YouTube. You'll be very blessed by them and what it means, uh, learning what it means to be uh, changed and transformed by the Holy Spirit and exhibiting in your pilgrimage and your walk of faith throughout your life the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, and a sound mind and self-control. Um, and perhaps as I say those things, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, what you're thinking is that, man, these, these fruit of the Spirit are incredibly lacking in today's culture. Um, and, and perhaps that you are like me and you are praying that we would see more of that in our lives and in our world, in our nation, in our state, in our city. And um, certainly I would encourage you to be praying um, with and for that. Um, I've come to believe that we are incredibly lacking in the fruit of the Spirit today. That we are lacking in showing the, the fruit of the Spirit actively in our lives um, outside of church, outside of the four walls of the building. That we have a tendency to um, hide our faith at home and simply look like the rest of the world throughout the week. Now, um, perhaps that is you. Um, perhaps you're realizing um, that, man, I really do need to work on that. And um, we live in, in, in a crazy time right now where it's needed, needed more than ever, a time where love has lost its meaning, um, joy is, is misconstrued with feeling, and people are so anxious, they're more anxious than ever. You know, I, I, I get to work with our high school students and anxiety is, is at an all-time high amongst young adults. They're dealing what they're dealing with, uh, this overflow of information, this lack of peace, this uh, secular world religion that promotes um, whatever kind of vice makes you happy or, or feel good. Um, we've replaced truth with a lie, and our minds uh, are troubled daily and filled with this garbage heap of information and heated opinions. So... The culture that we're living in today is rapidly developed into what I call an anti-culture. It's a rejection of traditional values, morals, achievements, language, rules, arts, and knowledge. Um, it's a complete rejection of them, a deconstruction of them, and tearing them down and not replacing them with anything. It's just it's a rejection of our culture. And um, I believe firmly that culture is downstream of religion. And that 
people create culture, not culture creating people. And therefore, what people worship will affect and influence and define culture. So I think that if there was a, a culture war, if you will, in the United States, that the church Christians have lost it long ago um, because we've handed off largely our God-given purpose as the church, as the ecclesia, as the body of Christ, um, bringing the kingdom of God into this world and to every nation, tribe, and language. And uh, we, we've traded that off, we've handed that off in, in favor of comfort and safety. We want to feel comfortable. We want to feel safe. Uh, it's uncomfortable to share your faith. It's uncomfortable to get out into the community and to, and to perhaps offend somebody with the gospel. In our current Western anti-culture, the greatest sin you can commit today is offending somebody. And quite honestly, I think that that is something we need to face head on as a church. The gospel of Christ, that he is the only way to heaven. He is the only way to be saved is still just as true today as it was before our anti-culture began. And we need to take this seriously, that if people are going to be offended by the gospel, let them be offended and don't apologize. You see, I begin with this because I think that we live in a time where we are incredibly anxious, where we are incredibly anxious because of the, the goings-ons of this world, what is happening around us, and we feel the, the weight of everything that's happening, and um, we are told a, a specific narrative, um, whether that's on a right or a left narrative or in the middle. We are, are buying into this narrative of the secular world, and it's falling apart around us, and we, as believers, as regenerate believers filled with the Holy Spirit, have to look out and say, God what can we do? We have to look out like Daniel and say, God, we have sinned. I begin with this because I, I do think that right now, the current state of our world is weighing heavy on your heart. And as you watch the decadence and depravity of our world, um, that we are a, a church in the middle of a very polarized world. That people are afraid. And what are we to do about it? Well, don't be afraid of what can destroy your body, first of all. Don't be afraid of what can destroy your body. It's wasting away daily. I'm young. I can say that. Don't be afraid of what can destroy your body. Be afraid of what can destroy your soul, namely sin. And the process of sanctification is rooting out all of the sin in our lives. It's God doing a deep dive, an investigative dive into your soul, into your heart, into your character, and weeding out the sin in there. It's finding that sin and getting rid of it in our lives. It's replacing it with righteousness. You see, as, as we've been um, studying in the high school ministry, we've been studying the book of Daniel and Acts because I am convinced that people today more than ever need to find their meaning. And they need to find their meaning in the purpose of God, what God has established for them, what God has prepared for them, and the plans that God has for them and the greatness of God's plan for their life and that we can change the world, but we have to deal with ourselves first. We have to put our own house in order first. We have to look at the sin in our own lives first. We have to look at the log in our own eye before we can pull the speck out of our neighbors. So let's go ahead and read Daniel chapter 9 together. It says this, In the first year of Darius the son of Ahasuerus, by descendant Amid, 
who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first part of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the book of Numbers of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To you, O Lord, our God, belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets, all of Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us, against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem, as is written in the law of Moses. All this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity that he has brought upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins, because of our iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among those who are around us. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and his plea for mercy. For you, for your sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear to hear, open your eyes to see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas to you, or before you, because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear, O oh Lord, forgive, O oh Lord, pay attention and act, delay not for your own sake. O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Amen. That is the prayer of Daniel, and that is a powerful prayer. The sin of God's people and the sin of the nation of Israel weighed heavily upon Daniel's heart, much as if you are filled with the Spirit of God, the sin of our nation, the sin of our people, the sin of our families, and the, sin of, the sins that we personally harbor in our own hearts should weigh heavily in our own hearts. 
It should, it should be a heavy, a heavy weight for us to consider all of this. And it's best to understand this prayer in the context of the book of Daniel. So let me refresh our memory on the book of Daniel, especially if you have not read it recently. Although I encourage you as your homework this week, open up Daniel, read through Daniel. There is so many great lessons for us as the purpose of this whole book is to essentially remind us and encourage us and encourage faithfulness to God's people in the midst of trial. Daniel here um, prays this prayer at the ripe young age of about 80 years old. He has spent his entire adult life as a captive in Babylon. And in his youth, the chosen nation and the people um, of God had sinned against God, breaking the covenant that God had formed with them. Because of the nation of Israel's sin, they broke the covenant that God had established with them. The covenant was that I will be your God, you will be my people. And here's what you are to do. Here's how you are to be set aside. Here's how you are to be a light to the nations. Here is how you are to, um, to attract the nations to me, the one true God, by living this way that I have established for you. Well, the nation of Israel didn't listen. They rejected the law of God. They rebelled against God. And for that, they had to face the punishment of breaking the covenant with God. And that led to their captivity. They were led away in chains, Daniel and his friends, um, in their early teens to Babylon as captives. And because Daniel and his three friends were some of the brightest young men in their youth, they were put in a position where they would be especially indoctrinated into serving the governance of Babylon. And therefore, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego um, deported to Babylon in chains, indoctrinated into a Babylonian culture, were given new names and pressured to lose their Jewish identity, lose their identity in God. But they refused to do that. They refused to give up their identity in God. They refused to eat the king's food. And their faithfulness to God was rewarded um, by their exaltation. They were raised up and put in the king's court. They were found to be the healthiest of the young men for not eating the food of the king and drinking the wine of the king. But then Nebuchadnezzar had this great dream of, a, of this giant statue. If you remember, the statue had the golden head, the silver chest, had the, the five different layers to this statue symbolizing the, the string of nations that were to come after it. And these nations would be these earthly kingdoms that would follow Babylon, the great Babylonian kingdom, and fill God's creation with violence and decadence. But one day, God's kingdom would confront and humble these decadent and arrogant kingdoms, filling the world with the peace and justice of God's rule and reign. That was the hope in Daniel chapter 2. Chapter 3, then, we go to the furnace, the fiery furnace. You might remember that story as Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are commanded along with all of the people of Babylon to bow down to a golden statue. And they refused to bow down to this golden statue because they refused to give up their identity in God. They refused to disobey the Torah, to break the, the law of God. And they refused to bow down. Well, for that, the punishment was being cast into the fiery furnace. The furnace was the death sentence. They would rather face the death sentence than be disobedient to God. They would rather face death, a certain death, than sin against God. Now imagine 
that kind, that's the kind of weight that they felt in following God. As a disciple of God, that's something we need to feel as well. God, remember here, God did not meet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before they were cast into the fires, but within the flames. Within the flames, God appeared. So remember, as they were facing this trial, God did not appear and, and tell them, hey, keep faithful, stay faithful. No, they chose to stay faithful, even in the midst of the king, given a second chance to bow down, and they didn't. And the king, filled with wrath, filled with rage, threw them into this furnace. He did it seven times over, and what did he see in the furnace but three men and a fourth appearing among them, walking with them, and not a hair on their head, not a piece of their clothing singed by the flames. And he believed in God. Chapters 4 and 5 then tell the tale of two kings. We have the King Nebuchadnezzar um, and his grandson, I believe, Belshazzar. God warning both of these kings um, with dreams and visions to humble themselves before God and acknowledge that God is the one true king of this world. Well, Nebuchadnezzar in his pride, remember God exalts the humble and humbles the proud. In his pride... Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the great nation of Babylon, one of the greatest, strongest nations to walk on this earth. He looked around and he said, man, what a kingdom that I've built. And Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. He ended up becoming like a beast, literally acting like an animal, like eating grass with his head, with his head down in the fields and acting completely insane. Now, you might think, well, completely in insane rulers is nothing new to you. Um, God did raise up Nebuchadnezzar, though. Remember, God, God's will is not the destruction that Nebuchadnezzar would perish, but that he would repent, that he would humble himself before God, acknowledge God's kingship, and acknowledge that God is the one true king over this world, right? Nebuchadnezzar finally looked up to heavens and said, basically, God, I am, I'm sorry, you are the one true God. He acknowledged God, and God restored him to his kingship. It's a beautiful picture that God humbles the proud and exalts the humble. But Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, who assumed the kingdom later, did not exactly follow or even take note of Nebuchadnezzar's um, insanity and restoration after he acknowledged God. And, well, what can we say except the handwriting was on the wall for him, and he had to learn the lesson the hard way that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, which is written four times in the book of Daniel, chapter 4. The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, and when the kingdoms of men forget the kingship of God, when the nations of this world forget the kingship of God, that he is the one true king, that he is sovereignly in control of all of this. And, then they, and when they fashion themselves to be in a godlike power and godlike place, they become less than human, like violent beasts roaming the fields, eating grass, and they will face God's justice. That's the lesson that we learn in chapters 4 and 5. Chapter 6, again, is God's people being persecuted. And in a foreign land, in Babylon, Daniel is a respected, competent, member of the now Persian government that is ruling the land. And Daniel has a, a really great habit of praying to God. And something I teach our youth constantly is that vice and virtue are both habits. They're something that we practice daily, that we form. So sin, therefore, is a habit. If you're trying to get out of the habit of sin, try practicing the habit of virtue. And that would be 
in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, steadfastness, a sound mind, patience, you name it. That is something we need to practice. Those virtues, what we can call them, are something that we have to habitually practice in order to make them part of our lives as a disciple and follower of Jesus. Now, this government, um, people in this government, did not like the fact that an exile, a Jew, was in such a place of power, and they sought every single way that they could to um, basically get Daniel out of the government. They wanted this man of God to be cast out. And Daniel was told, he knew that basically uh, he could not pray to anyone but God. And he was told um, by a law, the law of the land was that for 30 days you could only pray to the king, the, the Persian king of Babylon. And Daniel faced heaven, he faced God, he faced Jerusalem, and he prayed to the one true God. And for that, he was cast into the den of lions, another form of brutal execution. God didn't meet Daniel before this trial. Daniel remained faithful in Babylon, knowing what would happen, and trusted God. The faithfulness of Daniel led to God meeting him where? He met him in the trial, in the den of lions. And the miraculous shutting of the lion's mouth led to Daniel being exalted again in the kingdom and God's name, of course, being glorified. That is the, the lesson of chapter, of chapter 6. Now, there's three stories of persecution that are meant to provide hope to God's people in times of suffering. Point number one on the outlines is that God's people suffer because the nations of the world have rebelled and become like beasts. Like Nebuchadnezzar became like a beast because of his sin, because of his pride, so the nations of the world go, and, and that causes people to suffer, God's people to suffer, too. Then there's the three visions that these kings had that Daniel could interpret, and um, they are meant to encourage patience for the people of God who are suffering. God's people are to wait for God to bring his kingdom to rule over the world and vindicate his suffering people. So then there's these visions in chapter 7 through the end of, of, of Daniel, and we kind of hit right in the middle of them where Daniel's already had two visions, essentially. Um, one was the, the main dream, and, and, and he had some of it in the interpretation there, and then the subsequent visions were part of that main dream, kind of a zooming in feature, uh, looking more at the fine details of those dreams. And they can be very confusing for the Bible student to grasp. But the point of these visions... Um, that God is trying to make clear to us is that this, point number two on your outline, contrary to all appearances, even in this wild reality that we live in, God is on the throne. He is sovereign and the future is in his hands. I'll repeat that for us, that contrary to all appearances today, contrary to all appearances, even in the wild reality that we live in, God is on the throne and he is sovereign and the future is in his hands. You see, we so easily get sucked into um, only seeing one side of reality, and I would call it the sucky side of reality for the most part. This side of reality is that these visions were not to cause confusion among the people of God, but to instruct and encourage his followers to be faithful in difficult times. You see, it's to help them get through difficult times. 
Um, the reality is that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, and he sets over it the lowliest of men. That's the, the point that God is trying to keep driving home, that he is in control. He is sovereign over the workings of this world. He is sovereign over the nations of this world, the rulers of this world, and therefore we should have hope in times of trouble. We can have hope and we can be steadfastly faithful to God, obedient to him as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, even in Babylon. Even in a nation that is wicked, that is in moral decadence, um, that is... Um, there, there, see, there, we are supposed to understand that there is a spiritual reality be, beneath and behind everything that is going on around us. This has been true since the beginning. That this cosmic conflict, the spiritual conflict exists in the world beneath and behind the unfolding drama of human history. That behind everything there is a spiritual battle and a war being waged for, for us ultimately over our souls. This is why Daniel prays and confesses before God the sins of his people and his own sin. He understands better than anyone else reading it because Daniel is a faithful man. Daniel is genuinely one of the few men of integrity in the Bible that there is nothing bad or negative ever said about Daniel. In fact, every single test and trial that he faces, he, he, he faces with complete, almost perfection. And this is why Daniel prays. He prays because he sees that there is a ferocious anti-God movement in the world around him, just as much as there is today around us. Point number three on your outlines is this, that human beings, like Nebuchadnezzar, become beasts when they reject the kingdom of God. Human beings become beasts, like King Nebuchadnezzar went insane, when they reject the kingdom of God. The same is true today. This is what sin does to you. It reduces you to a beast-like nature. It dulls your mind. It leads you to act in the desires of your flesh. And ultimately, it, it makes you stink. <laughs> yes, I'll say that again. Sin makes you stink. So as a high school pastor now and as a young father, um, I decided to, when I took a, finally got to take my first vacation with my gorgeous wife, Grace. We went up to Mount Whitney to go uh, camping and hiking. And let me just tell you, um, camping with a newborn, a one-year-old, um, I love my little girl. She is the most precious thing in the world to me, but we did not sleep for one minute. <laughs> she did not want to sleep. So while it was still a restful to get away, to get out into the outdoors, into the mountains, um, of course, being out there, I felt compelled to go on a hike. And if you're familiar with Mount Whitney, everything is straight up out of the campground. And uh, from the little Mount Whitney family campground, Grace and I hiked up about 1,600 feet um, to a lake up there. And we just saw from phenomenal views. But we had brought my dog um, with us. And my dog's a Belgian Malinois, has a ton of energy. And because we had driven out there and camped, he was nervous. And um, But good dog and good hiking dog. He proceeds to five minutes into our wonderful hike. I'm carrying my daughter Rosie on our, in, our, in my little hiking backpack um, with me, so I got nice, you know, the nice 30 to 40 pounds of weight in my on my shoulders. I haven't hiked in a while, and I'm, you know, carrying this dog. I got this dog with us, and five minutes into the hike, he proceeds to poop on the side of the trail. 
Well, Mount Whitney, you bag in and you bag out what you bring up there. So um, we have doggy bags. As many of you walk your dogs and you faithfully carry your doggy bags, right? Because you're not those people that just leave it out there. Sure hope not. Um, my goodness, the Spirit of God is transforming you, right? Um, so I pick up the poop and I double bag it and it still stinks. I triple bag it and it still stinks. So I'm carrying this dog poop around with me. 20 minutes later, guess what happens? The dog decides to poop again. And here I'm thinking, man, is this, is this punishment, Lord? And let me just tell you what, what I learned on this hike is that you can dress up sin, you can double bag sin, you can triple bag sin, you can tie it up as tight as you can, and it still stinks. It's still poop. See, no matter where you put it, our sin is just like that. It's like bagged up poop that we're carrying around with us and it stinks. It drags us down and it makes us undesirable to be around, ultimately. It makes life uncomfortable. Sin has a desire, uh, you know, an aspect to it that is desirable for a moment. You see, there's that, um, that lure of sin, that, that fantasy that we have in our mind that sin will accomplish the thing of making us feel good for the moment. It will accomplish that for us, but it's fleeting and it leaves us in bondage. So, you see, as disciples of God, as people being sanctified, people where you know, the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, we've acknowledged the Lordship of God in our lives, we're following Jesus, we're trying to be obedient to what he said because he told us to, to if you follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to do what I tell you to do, right? If you listen to his teachings and you don't do what he's doing, it's pointless. Every, every minute of this is pointless. And, and if, if you're sitting in a church service and you're falling asleep, then I pray you would go find somewhere else that would keep you awake. Why? Because the reality is, is that it would be better for you to have an encounter with God, to have an encounter with your sin, to have an encounter where the spirit of, the, of, of Christ is at work in you transforming your character to match your calling, making you more like Jesus every step of your journey. Getting rid of your sin is incredibly important. Repenting of it is incredibly important. Confessing your sin to Jesus is required. Why? What does Jesus do with it? Well, he removes it from us. You see, we serve and we worship a God who's not afraid to get his hands dirty with your sin. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty with your sin. And oftentimes I think about it like this. As, as, as a father, I've been changing diapers now for the last year. Um, now, if you ask my wife, I'm not changing as many diapers as I probably should be. But, um, but that's another story. But no matter what is in that diaper, no matter what that diaper contains, no matter what atrocious smell it has, I, as a loving father, will take that diaper, clean up my baby girl, and I will dispose of that diaper. That's what God does with us. And sometimes my baby girl wants to fight me when I'm changing her diaper, but I'm like, I know it's good for you. I can't let you walk around with that stench all day. And like our Heavenly Father does for us, sometimes He has to pin you down and put you in a trial where you're going to squirm a little bit to get that sin and pull it out of your life so that way you can become more like Christ, so you can grow from the place you're at today. So I don't know the weight of the poop, I mean sin, that you're carrying around with you right now, but I want you to consider it. God isn't afraid to get his hands dirty with your sin.
there is, <laughs> for my analogy, there is no poopy mess that is too great for a loving father to clean up. And we serve a loving and merciful father that is willing to clean up whatever mess it is that, is, that, that identifies your life and your struggle right now. Daniel learned uh, before that. So remember, when we are filled with the Spirit of Christ, and he's removing sin from our lives, right? That's the purpose of sanctification. It is making us more like Christ, which means that we have um, boundaries. We have these rules to follow now. Um, but just like the walls of a house are essential to have a home, these rules are essential to have sanctification, to be sanctified. We need to follow them. And remember, James chapter 2 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast in trial. James chapter 1, verse 2, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. So Daniel here is reading his, his scriptures. He's in the middle of a trial, right? He's, his whole time in Babylon, you could say, was tri trial because he's not in the promised land of God. He's not in the city of Jerusalem. He's not worshiping in the temple. And he is reading the scripture at his ripe young age of 80 years old. And he learns in the prophet Jeremiah that the punishment for Israel's obedience was prophesied in, in Jeremiah, I believe it's 35, to be 70 years of Babylonian captivity. That was to be their punishment. Well, he had been taken captive as a youth and probably in his early teens. So these 70 years had likely were coming to an end and Daniel was filled with this, this idea, this, uh, this excitement that God was going to do something great that maybe this captivity was going to end. So having learned this, he sought the Lord in prayer. Point number four and the final point today is Daniel was making himself through this prayer available to the Lord. Think about this. Daniel's 80 years old in Babylon. And he's saying, after reading the scripture, he's saying, man, God, I believe you're going to do something great. I believe that you might be doing something. I believe we might be let out of captivity soon. I believe you might be sending your Messiah. You're going to take us, you're, you're going to accomplish the purposes that you have promised. You're going to be faithful to your covenant promises, to the prophecy. And Daniel's saying, Lord, would you use me? He's 80 years old and he's still saying, God, I'm learning something new from the scripture today and I want you to use me and I want you to forgive our people from, from, for their sin. And, and, and I... And I beg you, Lord, because you are a merciful God. God, be merciful to my people. Be merciful to me because we have sinned. We have rebelled against you. Our sin is like bags of poop that we're carrying around. And God, we need to get rid of them. And only you can do that. But first, we have to acknowledge that we're carrying around those bags of poop, that sin in our life, and experience the victory of the Lord that should instill hope that motivates faithfulness. You see, Daniel saw the great beasts that wage war against God in his visions. And I, I can't imagine to describe what Daniel saw. He couldn't even fully describe what he saw. What he saw was the other side of reality that we can't see, the great cosmic battle that's going on around us. But he also saw that one day God would confront the beast. He would confront the devil. He would confront the sin in this world. And he would rescue his world by sending his son. We should understand today that the victory is the Lord's. We may be in trial, we may be suffering, the victory is the Lord's, and this book of Daniel should instill in each of you hope that motivates faithfulness to God.
by the power of the Spirit in your life, you can be faithful even in a wicked nation. By the power of the Spirit only. So have you prayed today and asked the Spirit to fill you with His power, with His wisdom, with His might, that He might look inside the depths and the caverns of your heart and and identify places that aren't in line with God's scriptures where he can start to transform your character to match your calling, where he can start to write the law of God on your heart like the Holy Spirit's intended purpose is to do, to help us walk in Babylon, to help us walk in the midst of a wicked nation, in the midst of a country that seems to be falling apart, uh, that, that we can deal with the trials and the challenges of today because God can strengthen us for them. Only by the Holy Spirit is this made possible. There is no other way to go about life and experience joy and peace and patience and kindness and long-suffering and self-control and a sound mind. John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus himself said it. He said, if you really are my disciples, do what I tell you to do. Do what I say. You see, we can have all of the intellect in our minds. We can have it all, it could all, all be there. We can understand the scriptures and recite them and, and it could be great, but it wouldn't be so great if it didn't ever affect our hearts. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in Babylon, making us more like Christ, that we could bring the kingdom of God first in our own hearts, in our own lives, that it could start off as even something small like a mustard seed, but then grow and turn into something large and giant inside of us, this kingdom of God, that we could then reflect the kingdom of God. And as the people of God, with our lives changed and transformed, not act like the world anymore, but act like a citizen of heaven. But first, it starts with confessing your sin and repenting of it. Let's pray. Father God, as we consider these things, Lord, I thank you that you are the king on the throne, that you are the great king of this world, that, Lord, the rulers of this world, the rulers of the nations of this world, our nation included, Lord, have been put in place, allowed to be there only by your sovereign power and by your sovereign hand they can also be taken out. Lord, that their time is in your hands and we are faithful, we who are faithful to you and filled with your spirit, Lord, we need to be devastated, Lord, by the sin in our nation. We need to be devastated by the sin in our own lives. Lord, make the sin in our own lives as stinky as the sin around us. Make the sin in our own lives as weighty as the sin around us. So, Father, if there are those, and I believe there are those listening and tuning in today that need to repent, that we have not been patient, we have not been kind, we have not had long-suffering, we have not had a sound mind, we have not had love, we have not had kindness to our neighbors. Father, would you forgive us our sins? We have rebelled against you. We have rejected your way. Father, as, as a country, as a nation, as the world, Lord, we have gone astray. We have become like beasts in the field. 
chasing after our every whim and desire to make us feel good. Father, may we wholeheartedly pursue you and turn to you in this time that you would, Lord, forgive us of our sins, make us more like you, make us a holy people set aside for love and good works, that we would be a light and salt in the place that you have, that you have put us, Lord. You have providentially placed us each in a place where we can be faithful followers of you. And we can make an impact on the world around us by being faithful to you. So Father, go before us. Would you, Holy Spirit, would you fill us today? Fill us now as we pray this. We receive you. Would you search our hearts? Lord, we, we give you complete reign in our hearts that you would make us more like Christ. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.